here in this space and time, we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me there. Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 36 and then follow on through the remainder of the chapter. Let's together hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together in silence as we reflect on the power of God's word. Lord, we do come before you, astounded at the beauty the beauty and the power of your word. Lord, it is shocking to hear of your great love. 
I ask, oh God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, that we would come to know and understand your will, our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then I ask in response that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace on your behalf to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is another dinner story. It seems like everywhere uh, we turn in Scripture, Jesus is eating. Uh, amen. Uh, this is, this, I mean, it, it, he might as well be Texan. Uh, he's not, but he might as well be. Uh, because he loved to eat, whether it was the Last Supper or the 4,000 or the 5,000 or Zacchaeus. Last week we examined Matthew, and there's also another story about him eating with Simon the leper. Uh, eating, 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 and this is another dinner, dinner story. But it's important for us to not get this story confused and conflated with other dinner stories. Last week, particularly, we looked at, at Matthew's version of the dinner story of the, the, uh, the time that Jesus went to eat with Matthew, the Levite, the tax collector. Uh, and, and in the Gospel of Luke, that comes just a few chapters before in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 5. It, Jesus calls and eats with, the sinner, with sinners, and we hear Jesus answer, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Luke chapter 6. Remember, we're in Luke chapter 7 at this morning's passage. And just as it was in Matthew, just before this encounter with Matthew and those sinners that would eat at Matthew's table, we also see that, uh, that there is the story of the paralyzed man just before in Luke chapter 5. And this is the story where the paralyzed man is dropped down through the roof and Jesus not only heals him so that he could walk, but he forgives his sins. I find that uh, important for us as, as, as we turn to Luke chapter 7 that, that, that this is the context of Jesus' ministry. That this woman and Simon the Pharisee uh, enter into. And not only that, in, in just uh, a few verses in between uh, those two stories and where we were today, we have Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Now, you probably have heard of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, but we also have the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. And here, here's an interesting set of verses that, are, that Jesus teaches to the masses Again, setting the stage in the context for this particular dinner party. Jesus says to his disciples and all those that would hear him on the plain, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject you. Reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. This is the framework for this particular story in Luke chapter 7. This is what the masses would have been exposed to. That Jesus forgave the man of his sins as he was lowered through the roof. That Jesus testified 
in, in both the, the witness of who he gathered with and how he gathered with him that he came for sinners for the forgiveness of sins and that there is blessing for all of those who have been rejected by society that weep, that mourn, that are poor. All blessing now available as Jesus turns things upside down. There's another dinner story that that we need not conflate with this passage. It's good to have the context of what came from it, but I want to be sure that that, that we uh, differentiate uh, the story of Jesus eating at Simon the Pharisee's house from Jesus eating at Simon the leper's house. And when Jesus goes and eats at Simon the leper's house, Simon the leper lives in Bethany, and this is right before Jesus uh, goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is right before he is crucified. And so we have this witness of uh, a woman, likely Mary, the sister of Martha, comes and breaks a a jar of alabaster ointment and and anoints Jesus' head from top down and there's question in that conversation about the worth of the of the ointment and should it have been used in such a manner or should it have been used to feed the poor now i understand why it could be confusing because that's uh, that there's an anointing of Jesus with alabaster oil. There, there is a, a dinner that is in Simon's house. And so we could see the parallels, but these are two distinct stories at two different times. Kind of like when Jesus fed the 4,000 and Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus doesn't have to feed one or the other. He could do both and did, okay? Jesus fed both the 4,000 and the 5,000. And he ate dinner at Simon the leper's house as he also ate dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. So Simon the Pharisee is uh, in the region of the Galilee. We don't know exactly what city he's in, but we do know he's in the Galilee, and he's not in Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem, up the Mount of Olives. Totally different city, totally different Simon. And this Simon the Pharisee has seen and witnessed what Jesus was teaching and doing, how he was performing these miracles, and he invites him to his home. Now, when we read verse 36, we could see... Three elements of basic, baseline hospitality in Jewish culture. In verse 36, Simon the Pharisee does three things. He invites Jesus to his house. He prepares a meal for him to eat. And he invites him to his table. He reclines at his table. All three of these things are basic hospitality. Now, now they're not exceptional hospitality. It's not over-the-top extraordinary. Uh, This isn't an honor per se, but it is the base level that one could expect. If it was going to be extraordinary, if it was going to be over-the-top, then there would be three more elements included in this context. The first is at the door, as you entered in, there would be a water basin. And there would be a servant there that would, uh, that would wash the feet of those that entered so that the dust would come off of their feet. There would also be um, some ointment, typically olive oil, that would be available for the hair of the guests. So as they entered, they would receive some olive oil and be able to put it in their hair. And then thirdly, the, the host 
uh, would come before each of the guests and offer them a kiss of greeting. Uh, you might recognize that kiss in our community as uh, our Latino and Latina sisters and brothers uh, offer these kisses of greeting uh, very traditionally. You probably received one of those hugs at the bus stop, right? Uh, I mean, th- this is part of that culture that is a continuance of the culture that would have been there in the Jewish World. Those would have been three elements that would, take, that would have taken this basic offering of Simon the Pharisee and made it extraordinary. So it's not that Simon did something wrong. He just didn't do anything extraordinary. He just didn't raise the level of that invitation. But then when we arrive at verse 37, we we encounter a new character. We have Simon the Pharisee. We have his guest at the table. We have Jesus that has been invited and now reclines there. Now, I want to be sure that we have the image correct of how this would have laid out. It would have been a a low-seated table. There would have been cushions and pillows, and the guests would have reclined at table. They would have reclined on their left hand and eaten with their right hand. So if you're a lefty, I'm sorry. Like, the culture just messed you up. Like... Uh, there would have been a lot of switch hitters available uh, if baseball were a thing in that world because they were all taught, all the lefties were taught to eat with their right hand, so not to disturb the natural order of things, that being the right-handed population. So we have this, this, this seated situation, and Jesus' feet would have been tucked behind him as he was reclining there, and he would have been facing at the table because he was uh, rightly invited to be seated at the table. And this was also a tradition that the Pharisees would have, uh, would have uh, been intentional about. Uh, you see, Jesus at this point had, been rather, had become rather famous. He was known as a teacher. There was questions from the Pharisees of whether or not he was a prophet. And so uh, the Simon wanted this famous guy to be at his table, and this was kind of an interview of sorts. Come and eat at my table. I'll have the other Pharisees there. We'll listen to what you have to say, and we'll think about whether or not you're worthy of expanded titles, roles, and functions. It's interesting. Simon does the base level and sets this interview situation up. But in those days, a dinner of this sort would have not been closed to the public I mean, this would have been for us uh, a a closed session in our home, door shut. You would have to knock or ring the doorbell. You would have had to have been invited, and then you would have to be welcomed into the home. This would have been a closed setting, but this was not the case uh, for Simon the Pharisee. This was a public Uh, publicly known gathering, and guests or people from the community would have been allowed outside of the table to listen, to experience, but not to participate. It was really a space where those that were in and those that were out was accentuated through physical opportunity. And so there's a woman there, a woman who wasn't invited, a woman who would not have been welcome at the table to eat, but a woman who was not kicked out because it would have made a scene. This woman comes into the room She learned in verse 37 that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, 
So she came there. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Two things here. First is, alabaster jar is probably a poor translation. Whenever we hear this, we think that she walked in with a big old jar, like a, a, a huge pot of some sort, or at least that she would have had to carry it by the handle. Um, more than likely, the better translation would have been an alabaster vial. Uh, and many women in this culture would have worn that vial almost uh, like a, a necklace piece. So it would have been attached to a necklace. And so she wouldn't have had to carry it in some sort of uh, intrusive way uh, for the space, but it would have been more discreet. So she had an alabaster vial. And it also says that from the very beginning, before we even hear that this is a woman, we hear that this is a sinful woman then she lives a sinful life. It restates it a few times in this passage that she's a sinful woman. Uh, more than likely, this is not a woman of adultery. This is uh, more likely a woman who is a prostitute, uh, not an adulteress, because if she was an adulteress, it wouldn't be about her life. It would have been about an act. Now that it is described as she lives a sinful life, uh, it is likely that she engages in prostitution, but don't be too quick to judge harshly here. The three primary reasons why women in this culture, in this day and age, would have been a prostitute. The first is they were sexually abused as children and thus not worthy for marriage and became outcast in society because their purity had been violated. Not by their own will or desire, but the abuse of another. The second most common reason is that they were born as an illegitimate child and there was no resource mechanism in society to care for that woman's physical needs. She would have been abandoned, neglected, uh, uh, cast out from any opportunity to be fed or cared for by a family because she was illegitimate, unwanted, and unworthy. And so she, just in order to eat, just in order to care for her own physical needs, could have been cast into this sinful life. The third reason uh, why someone, uh, the third most common reason why someone would have engaged in prostitution in this world in that day and age would have been because she was widowed. And also, as she was widowed, there was no family members uh, that, that took her in, no brothers for her to marry. And then she also, in the need for her own physical well-being, could not provide and became a prostitute. So let's be careful not to judge so harshly, so quickly. She is a sinful woman, but a woman who now exists outside of the cultural standards. She is uh, she's looked down upon by the prideful in the community, but abused by the worst of the community. And on top of that, she's also exiled from any religious function because of her sinful life. She is not allowed in temple worship. She is not allowed uh, in engagement in, uh, in the uh, religious community. She can't make sacrifices. She can't be made whole. She can't be in that fellowship. There is no peace, no shalom for her. 
And so this, this sinful woman comes and observes, not welcome at the table, but she stands right behind Jesus Right behind Jesus in, in verse 38. I want you to, to see how this, uh, how this takes place. Uh, the, 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 the ordering of the description is so intentional and so profoundly beautiful. She is standing behind Jesus and her tears begin to flow. And as her tears begin to flow, her weeping begins. And from a standing position, her tears begin to fall on Jesus' feet. This, uh, this, this kind of transforms the whole, uh, the whole picture. It seems as though from, from, from our uh, initial view that, that this might have been uh, orchestrated, intentional, uh, set up in this constructive way that, that she went into this gathering with the intention and expectation that she was going to perform this act of hospitality and beauty for Jesus. But it says that, that she is standing as her tears fall on Jesus' feet overcome with such extraordinary, great love uh, for the one that proclaims the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of community for the healing that she so desperately longs for. She weeps at how she has experienced God's grace, God's unmerited love through the witness of Jesus. And she sobs and her tears flow down on Jesus' feet. And then she kneels to meet Jesus as he's reclined in that space. And there's an aspect of this that, that, that can easily be missed. She would have at that point uncovered her hair. And culturally, uh, that, that, would have, that would have been a, a, an extraordinary thing, something that would have ca- caused and brought shame upon a woman. But her hair would have been covered. And as she weeps and tears fall on his feet, she would have uncovered her hair, revealing it in public, bringing even greater shame upon herself. And she knelt and not only wept on his feet, but then wiped his feet with her hair. Her beautiful black hair showing herself vulnerable and broken and healed and restored on display for all to see. And she took that vial of alabaster ointment and poured it on his feet and kissed his feet in such humiliation and honor and this contrast being on display. Her great love on display. We see as the story continues that Simon bears witness to this. This woman that was allowed to be in but not welcomed at the table seemed to disrupt what he uh, ex- uh, experienced or envisioned as an interview of sorts of the teacher. And he mumbles to himself. He doesn't publicly uh, uh, chastise Jesus. He doesn't 
talk uh, to his friends about this. It says he says it to himself. I find that interesting. He says it to himself. If, if, if this were actually a prophet, if this was a man of great wisdom or knowledge, foresight and understanding, he would know that this one who is touching him is a sinner and wouldn't allow it. He says it to himself and yet Jesus does perceive, does have wisdom, does acknowledge, and he has a lesson for Simon. I think it's so interesting. Simon, I have something to tell you. As he's mumbling under his breath, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Like, like all of a sudden, like his frown is turned upside down, and he has to, like, hey, yeah, go ahead and teach. I wasn't thinking negatively about you or anything and Jesus says hey think about this you owe 500 you owe 50 neither of you could pay it the money lender forgives both of you who's going to be more loving and grateful 50 or 500 and Simon must be thinking wow he asked me an easy question I mean if he would have asked me a hard I mean Jesus is is prone to ask really hard questions of Pharisees. I mean, we see this throughout Scripture. There's a lot of times where the Pharisees just walk away and can't say anything. Jesus asked Simon an easy win, a layup of sorts, and Simon doesn't miss, and he says, oh, it's the one who was forgiven 500. That's the one who, who loves more, who cares more, who is, uh, who is more grateful, certainly. And Jesus then creates this parallel between the self-righteous and the humble sinful. The self-righteous who don't realize how, how deep their sin is and how broken they are and the humble sinful who are fully aware of their vulnerability and need and just crumble at the idea of a God who is so lavish in his love and grace that he would forgive. How magnificent. How beautiful. Then the last thing I want us to examine together is in verse 47. Verse 47, at the close of this passage... Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. It brings a question for me. At what stage in this process was she aware of the reality that her sins had been forgiven that Jesus was able and willing to forgive her, yes, even her, of her sins. This is, it's stated in past tense, her sins have been forgiven. And, and it says, as her great love shows. It, it, it describes this offering, this weeping, this, this, this revealing, this wiping, this, these tears, these kisses, uh, this perfume, all of this is an exemplar, an outpouring, a showing of her great love. And that bears witness to her forgiveness. And it makes me think and wonder, does my worship, does my life 
look like an outpouring of great love for the forgiveness that I have received that I didn't deserve? Or do I encounter Jesus more like Simon the Pharisee? I welcome him, but I keep him at a stiff arm distance. I make sure that he doesn't get too close. He doesn't impact too much. He doesn't change too much. But that's not what this image and witness looks like. Your life and my life, your worship and my worship should be such, such a vast, humiliating and beautiful outpouring of our great love for what we did not and do not deserve that is the forgiveness of our sins, that it should be, should be stunning to everyone else around us. This is what grace looks like. This is what forgiveness of sins looks like. And just as Jesus has modeled uh, what discipleship looks like, that discipleship is, is, is life experienced together as the curriculum, that that. that, that The discipleship looks like uh, all being welcome at the table, none excluded as it was in Matthew and his call at uh, at that dinner table. And just as we also see that grace abounds and forgiveness is available to everyone, this is what discipleship looks like. And this is what we believe discipleship looks like in the church of Jesus Christ. As covenant continues to invest in small group discipleships, this is a characteristic. If you are someone that, that, that is aware of your need for forgiveness, you're welcome. If you're someone who is still struggling to believe that you can be and will be forgiven, you're welcome. Because Discipleship is a place where grace abounds. And you're invited to experience that here at Covenant. You're you're invited to experience that in God's word this day. And I hope and I pray that you would be confronted with such an extraordinary source of healing and shalom that you would weep at your Savior's feet and bless him for the goodness that he has bestowed upon you. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we come <laughs> blown away by your interaction with us just as you interact with your daughter who goes unnamed, allowing us to place our name right squarely in the midst of this, your story. Lord, we are sinful men and women in need of restoration and grace, in need of your love and forgiveness. And so we come before you with our brokenness and our emptiness, saying, 
feel, fill us and heal us. Restore us, Lord. And let our offering of worship be astounding to all that would witness. Lord, we rejoice in you and we honor you. And as we continue in worship and we off, uh, enter into this time of offering, Lord, we offer a portion of what you have blessed us with to the kingdom building work of your church. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified through these gifts. And Lord, I ask that you would bless the givers as well, that in the opportunity we have to experience the joy of giving, Lord, you would be honored and glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.